We will be reading from Matthew 28 today. Now the title of this sermon is Empty Tomb. It is going to begin a series called Empty, which we will go through this month in April, the next five weeks. The first week of May, we will do a vision sermon. Kind of revisit where we were a year ago when I was casting a vision for the church, and just to remind us and go forward on that. But just, there we go, I forgot my notes, they were right in my Bible, I usually have them beside there. All right, so just imagine, if you will, The feeling of defeat, we've all sensed that feeling of defeat at one time or another. Whether it was bills piling up, the loss of a job, a dead car, an eviction notice, a broken relationship, or the death of a loved one. That's where we're coming into here for who we're going to see. The death of a loved one. Jesus had just been greeted, as we read last week, he had been greeted a week earlier into Jerusalem as this victorious Messiah. They were singing Hosanna to the Son of David. And within days, those same people turned on him, wanted him dead. Jesus was betrayed by a trusted friend. He was put up in what we would call monkey courts, these fake courts. He was dragged from one place to another. Herod and Pilate could not find him guilty of what the Sanhedrin wanted him to be. And eventually, Pilate gave in to them, gave them a choice between Barabbas and Jesus, and they freed Barabbas, a murderer, and they wanted the innocent Jesus put to death. Jesus was crucified. It was a horrible way to die. It was our version today of the electric chair, or even maybe even lethal injection. As the person hung on the cross, their lungs and our heart were compressed in on one another until eventually asphyxiation took place and they died. When Jesus died, it was just hours before the Sabbath, and so they hastily took his body and put it into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And there, because the Sanhedrin worried about what would happen if the body disappeared, they got Pilate to agree to put Roman soldiers there, to seal it with the Roman seal. That way there, no one could come in and take the body. But then, on that Sabbath, we read the following. Matthew 28. We're going to read verses 1 to 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday, 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The first thing we have to understand is the tomb is victory. The Jewish leaders, like I said, they didn't want anything to happen to this body. They didn't want it to go missing because they knew that all sorts of things would happen because of the political climate of the time. But you notice, it says right here, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. This requires a little explaining. See, because they had feared of this, they put the Roman soldiers, they had asked for these Roman soldiers to stand guard. Now the one thing about the Roman soldiers was they would be on the Roman equivalent of court-martial. Now, in the American army, speaking from my little experience, knowing many who have served in other branches, court-martial is something that happens if you desert your post. In some cases, you're dishonorably discharged. In other cases, you're thrown in prison, then dishonorably discharged. And in the most extreme cases, you're put to death. In the Roman court-martial, you were just put to death. When we get down to verses 11 and 15, you see that as the soldiers were there, the Sanhedrin said, don't worry. Don't worry, we're going to pay. They, they paid him to tell this story that Jesus' body was taken by the disciples. And they said, basically, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while, he was, while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And Matthew goes on to say that this is the story that is believed to that day when he's writing the letter. But the truth was, the truth was, if something had truly happened like that, those soldiers would be put to death. What they saw was this angel 
descending. They felt the earthquake. There was all this stuff going on that just made them like dead men. It was something that they were not used to seeing. And these were soldiers. These were trained people. They had murdered people, killed people, seen dead bodies, seen their friends killed, everything. But yet, this sight made them like dead men. They were sitting there in awe at the sight of the resurrected Savior. Jesus being alive means that death was defeated. And Bible the Bible and historians show us that all but one of the remaining apostles met horrible deaths. They all were martyred, but yet when they went and they faced those deaths, they faced it joyfully. The one who didn't die the horrible death, John, the beloved one, the one that wrote the, the Gospel of John and the letters of John and the book of Revelation. They tried to kill him. They threw him in boiling oil and he went joyfully. But ultimately, the victory is death is defeated. Paul writes it this way. He writes, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over death. We don't have to worry. If we believe in our hearts that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we have that victory. We do not have to fear death. I'm reminded of when my father was ready to pass on. And that was the one thing he told me as I stood there and crying as any child is going to. And it doesn't matter if you're 10 or 20 or 50. You're still going to cry when your parent passes. And when my dad was getting ready, he told me, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I want to see my Lord. I want to see my wife. I want to see my son. I want to see my grandchild. He was ready. He didn't fear it. And that's what we, we have that, we have that hope. And that's the next point. The empty tomb means hope. When the women came to the tomb, they were expecting to see this tomb just sitting there. The stone rolled up, the seal still on it, the soldiers cooking and being chauvinistic, mean, misogynists to them. They would have to ask them to please break the seal, roll it back, let us give us this chance to really prepare the body the way that the traditions of the Jewish people were. But when they got there, it wasn't what they expected. When they got there, they see these trained men, these soldiers, these muscular men, fearing and trembling and like dead men. It means they were just like gone. They were just scared. They were just, their eyes wide. They couldn't do anything. 
And when they see this and they hear what's going on, they're shocked. The angel turns around. The angel turns around and gives them these comforting words. He's telling them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He gives them instruction, which is interesting when you think about how Jewish law was at the time. Jewish law basically said you couldn't trust a woman in court. You couldn't trust a woman as a witness to anything. And it goes back probably to the Garden of Eden and the fact that Eve was tricked by the serpent. But the fact is, the angel tells the woman, this is what happened. This is what you're witnessing. Now go and tell his disciples. It's an interesting sort of dichotomy because this is all going to be confusing for the world. As this begins, as they hear, they're going to wonder, really, could you trust what a woman said? Paul... Paul writes it this way. Paul reminds us of how God works. This is what he says. He says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to be not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, the angel is telling them, he's giving them comfort, and at the same time, we're noticing this dichotomy between the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. There is an angel who descends and announces the birth of Christ. There is an angel that descends and announces the resurrection of Christ. When the angel that announces the birth, he announces it to the shepherds. The shepherds were the lowest like they couldn't even go into the temple because they were considered ceremonially unclean. The women couldn't even go into the proper temple to worship. They had to have their own section. And God is using this to show us that something is changing, that he is getting ready to do something now. Now that he has resurrected his son, he is ready to change the world. And you'll notice, too, that the angel is answering their questions. There's a lot of questions going on in these women's head. They're seeing this, like, what's going on? Why, is they, why are they scared? Why, why is this tomb, why is the stone rolled back? And the Greek that's used for the angel spoke is really the angel answered. He knew what was on their mind. God had already revealed that, said, listen, tell them this. And that's what he does. He answers them. He says, this is what's going on. Now go. He's alive. He's risen. Go. 
tell his disciples. And so they go, they run, they've got this fear and excitement and joy. And all of a sudden, they run into the one thing. They run into the life. They run into that hope as they run in and they see Jesus. They see Jesus and instantly, Jesus looks at him. he says, greetings. And they see him. And they fall to their feet and they worship him. They fall to his feet. And you see the love that he has for them. Greetings. And they came. They took hold of his feet. And he tells them, he reassures them, do not be afraid. And at that point, at that point, you've got to think to yourself, at that time, at that instant, they know what death is. They had just seen him three days earlier, nailed to the cross by the soldiers. They saw him beaten beyond recognition. They saw him draw his last breath, saying, It is finished. Then they saw the soldier take the spear and jam it into his side and pierce his heart. So by all accounts, this man should be dead. But here he is alive. Here he is, the ultimate victor. I believe it was Martin Luther that called him Christus Victoria. Christ the victor. They have no reason to be afraid now. They realize the victory. They realize their hope. They realize that now they have a chance at eternal life. They can see now that death has been defeated. That is what we... One of the things we celebrate at Easter, we celebrate that now, because of Christ's sacrifice, the bridge between us and God is there. And we can believe in Christ and go to heaven. This is, this is what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you, by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and will sound with the sound of a trumpet of the Lord, of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we who are alive who are left will be caught up and together with them in the clouds.
to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that's what's going to happen. These women, they're now so full of joy. They're running to the apostles. Some of the other accounts say that they get there and they tell Peter, James, and John. And John and Peter go booking it down to the tomb. Because they can't believe this. Jesus was their best friend. Jesus was the one person that they loved so much. And they get there and they see that what the women have told them is true. And then Jesus appears to Peter. And Peter is just awestruck. And all that fear, all that shame, everything is sitting there. And it disappears that this is true. Everything Jesus said was true. But yet, in this day and age, we have atheists that tell us our hope, our religion, our our belief is all false. It's all a a crutch. Let me tell you, again, going back to Rome and going back to how the Romans did things. They always say victory, you know, history is written by the victors. But think of this. There was a man, a Roman historian named Josephus. Now, by all accounts, he was a Jewish man. He never came to faith in Christ. But he was asked by the Romans to write a history of the Jews. And this is what he wrote. In all his history, we come to this one portion I'm going to read it. If you can't read all that, I'm going to read it. This is what it says. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was who, he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. And when upon the accusation of the principal men among him, Pilate had condemned him to a cross, those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them spending a third day restored to life, For the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. That is from the Testimonium Flavorium by Josephus. It's the Jewish Antiquities, chapter 18 and sections 63 and 64. Now, he didn't have to write this. He was a Roman citizen, a Jew working for Rome. He had no no reason to write this, but yet he found it compelling enough. He saw that this movement of Christians was so compelling enough that something had happened that he had to write it. 
And the fact was that Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive and he's in heaven and he's waiting for us. Jesus is waiting for you to make a choice whether you believe or you do believe but you want to rededicate your life. God loves people so much that he gave his only son. John 3.16, most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that God gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The rub is this. You must do a few simple things. You see, religion, world religions tell us we have to live the perfect life. We have to eat certain foods. We have to go through reincarnation. But God didn't make it that hard. This is what he did. He didn't even tell us to do a sinner's prayer. What he did was he told us to do these things. Romans 10, 9 through 10, shows us the first. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's free. It's free to accept this. We read in Ephesians 8 and 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. So all that stuff that the world religions want you to believe, all that stuff that they tell you you have to do, you don't. You don't. For, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. God, who gave up his Son, who today we celebrate the fact that because he took all our sins on the cross, that he was buried, and that God did what he said he would do and raised him up to newness of life. That is what we have. We have this hope. It's God's gift to us. Not a result of our works. So that no one may boast. It's not us. It's not what I do. It's not what you do. It's what God has done. It's making God, Jesus, the Savior of your life. It's making him Lord of your life, following him in everything we do, everything we say, whether it's our own work, our home life. Everything must be God's. We must make Jesus Lord of it all. The love he had for us he took the death and resurrection. It took the death and resurrection of the Son 
to open up that door so that we can have that relationship again with the Father. And right now, I'm not going to ask anyone to go forward. I'm not going to ask for an altar call. But I want you to think, is Jesus Lord of your life? Are you living a life worthy of that sacrifice? Are you living a life worthy of what God did on the cross? What he did with the empty tomb? God knows your heart. He knows my heart. If you want to know more, See me after service. Talk to me. Pull me aside. Doesn't matter if anybody's talking to me. Just pull me aside. I'll talk to you about it. God wants all of us there. He wants to see us in heaven. He paid the ultimate price. But at the same time, he also won the ultimate victory. And that is why we celebrate today the empty tomb. Usually people say it's the empty cross. But in truth, it is the empty tomb because that cross is the symbol of our sin that was taken upon it. But the empty tomb is what also celebrates the fact that God said what he said. He did what he said he would do and he brought it to fulfillment. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask um, Scott and Bryson to come up. And then when I'm done, uh, we'll take the offering. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you that you saw it fit to save us who were dead to sin who should have taken all that your son did on the cross but you you couldn't bear to be without us you loved us before we were even born Father you You showed the ultimate victory. You gave Jesus the keys to death and Hades. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can, because of this day, celebrate who we are in you and praise you and lift you up because we can't. It's not us that have done it. It is you. And because of that, we thank you. We praise you. Father, I pray for anyone here who may may be rethinking what their life is. Whether they know you or they don't know you, Father. Something that is said is stirred in them. And so, Father, I just pray for them. I pray that you continue to work that throughout today, throughout this week. Father, I just pray right now 
that you will let us go out of here with this new understanding, this fresh feeling of what your victory, what that hope means to us. That one day, those who we've lost, that also trusted in you, we will be reunited with. Father, I just pray now that you would give us the rest of this day. I know many of us are going to celebrate with loved ones and have dinner. But Father, let us not forget the real reason why we celebrate today. Now, Father, I just pray also for the offering that you would just bless it and bless the givers. Help us as we continue to do mission here, as we continue to become the church you want us to be, as we continue to develop something new in this place of old. It's fitting, too, that that is happening. It's fitting that we are in this revitalization It's a resurrection, Father. I just pray that for us that are here, you will use this this day to remind us that we have a journey and a mission to do. We ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Thank mm-hmm. you. 